Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. A new true crime podcast from the team behind Up and Vanished. In 2016, adventurer Justin Alexander was invited on a trek by an Indian holy man. They headed to a spiritual ground in the Himalayan mountains, a place beyond civilization. The holy man returned and said nothing, but Justin was never seen again. What happened to him? Dive into our investigation in Status Untraced. Available now. Listen for free on Spotify. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. Due to the graphic nature of this cult's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of graphic material that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for listeners under 13. By 2002, rumors began to spread. Throughout rural China, a cult was converting people to its cause, and those who resisted were met with brutal violence. But they were only rumors. Rumors that the cult members had ransacked homes, tortured non-believers, and cut off the ears of those who refused to accept their savior. Then photos began to come forward, depicting the violence. They were humiliating and graphic. But worse than that, they couldn't help identify any of the attackers. The people of China lived in constant fear that these underground believers who moved in the shadows would come for them next. Hi, I'm Greg Polson. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And this is Cults on the Parcast Network. Every Tuesday, we look at a cult's practices, their leader, and their followers. Today, we're taking a deep dive into the cult known as Eastern Lightning, or Church of the Almighty God. The cult was first established by Zhao Weishan in the early 90s. After beginning a relationship with a woman named Yang Xiangbin, he claimed she was the second coming of Christ. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram, at Parcast, and Twitter, at Parcast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review, wherever you're listening. It really does help us. We also now have merch. Head to Parcast.com slash merch for more information. You can listen to previous episodes of Cults, as well as all of ParCast's other shows, wherever you listen to podcasts. A new episode comes out every Tuesday. The Church of the Almighty God was founded by Zhao Weishan and his partner, Yang Xiangbin, who he believed was Christ incarnate. 
the cult was most active between 1989 and 2014, and at one point was rumored to have over one million members. They grew out of a hatred for the communist Chinese government, eventually spreading across the entire country of China with strong roots in rural areas. This week, we'll discuss the cult's beginnings and its earliest run-ins with the government, as well as rumored attacks on other Christian religious leaders. Next week, we'll see how the cult spread to the United States and launched an attack so brutal it made international news headlines. Not much is known about either Zhao Weishan or Yang Xiangbin. They've taken great effort over the years to remain as secretive as possible. We do know that Zhao Weishan was born in 1951 in Achang in northeast China in the Heilongjiang province. The area is important to the country, both industrially and agriculturally. The 1950s were a time of economic and political upheaval in China. 260 million were estimated to be living in poverty. The income gap between those living in rural areas and those living in urban areas had grown markedly. Zhao grew up during an incredibly oppressive time in China's history. The People's Republic of China had been established by Mao Zedong on October 1, 1949. Since Zhao wasn't born until 1951, he never experienced a China that wasn't under communist rule. This communist takeover had happened after a brutal civil war between the Mao-led communists and the Kuomintang forces of the Republic of China. In 1957, when Zhao was just a young boy, Mao led an anti-rightist campaign to purge the newly formed communist China of any remaining dissidents. This campaign saw a half million people arrested and sent to labor camps. In 1958, Mao implemented the Great Leap Forward. He intended for the strict agricultural reforms he set to help China surpass Great Britain industrially. Instead, it led to one of the worst famines the world has ever seen. Approximately 30 million people starved to death as a result of this plan. We may not know what Zhao Weishan's personal experience was during this time, but historically, we know it was a time of great repression. Anyone who disagreed with Mao risked violence or jail time. In August of 1966, Mao began closing down schools across the country. Chairman Mao didn't want anything to threaten the Communist Party's grasp on the country. He saw religion as a danger to the proudly atheist Communist Party. As such, religious groups were especially persecuted during this time. Mao banned all religious activity in 1966. Anyone who openly practiced religion risked torture, imprisonment, or even death. The desecration of religious sites was commonplace. Mosques, churches, and monasteries were demolished. We don't know much about Zhao Weishan's teenage years, but we know Christianity was important to him from early on. He would have lived in fear of imprisonment for simply practicing his beliefs. It also must have been heartbreaking for him to watch these ancient religious centers be destroyed. Mao called for young people to mobilize against dissidents. Within just a few months, the students had formed paramilitary groups that they called the Red Guards. But instead of safeguarding the future of communist China, these groups quickly spiraled out of Mao's control. They violently harassed older people and intellectuals. Some teachers were held prisoner if they didn't show undying admiration for Mao, or if they weren't lenient with grades for the children of politicians. The anger Mao had unleashed in the country, especially among the younger generation, had grown dangerous and unruly. 
Mao eventually sent the army to reel in the Red Guards. The army forced Red Guards members into rural areas of China, which helped quell the movement. All of this political upheaval had a devastating effect on the economy. It's not unrealistic to assume that as a teenager, Zhao and his family were starving. It's important to note that this was the basis by which Zhao would regard government and authority for the rest of his life. Vanessa is going to take over on the psychology here. A reminder, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show. Thanks, Greg. In his chapter on the psychology of oppression, published in the Encyclopedia of Critical Psychology in 2013, Carl Ratner writes that oppression, especially in the form of an oppressive government or society, prevents individuals from fully partaking in self-discovery. Psychologically, oppression can hinder academic achievement, produce apathy, and foster short-sightedness. On the whole, it creates a society of people who embody oppression and diminish their own self-worth. Oppressed peoples feel no control over their own lives, so they seek no revolution against the government. This is not complacency so much as hopelessness. By 1969, 17-year-old Zhao Weishan and his family had few prospects in life. They lived under a communist regime that starved them, beat them, and stole any chance for a sustainable income. Mao's cultural revolution had resulted in the deaths of 1.5 million people. Millions more were tortured, imprisoned, or had property seized by the government. Mao had hoped to make young people passionate about the Communist Party. Instead, he massacred them. The death and destruction caused people to not only lose faith in the Chinese government, but to fear it. Research conducted by the Urban Institute shows that early childhood experiences have a profound effect on a person's life as an adult. Children who grow up in an unstable environment may be more aggressive or confrontational. If a child grows up without any consistency in their life, they may be unable to form secure, healthy attachments with others. Growing up during a time of turmoil would have meant that Zhao experienced an incredible amount of stress and anxiety throughout his childhood and teen years especially considering that, as a religious man, he would have had to keep his beliefs secret or risk persecution. In 1977, after the death of Chairman Mao, the government did lift many of the restrictions on religion in the country, but it still felt unsafe to practice Christianity openly. The Urban Institute's research shows that instability can cause a child to perform poorly in school and feel directionless as they move into adulthood. Zhao would have felt that he couldn't rely on anything or anyone for consistency. This kind of instability might have better primed him to later assume the role of cult leader. It also might have made him cling to Christianity and religion, the sole constant in his life. By 1986, 30-year-old Zhao had begun preaching at small house meetings in Acheng City. Due to the ban on religion, they practiced their faith underground. Zhao and another man named Hei Jieshan had moved to the Henan province in central China, seeking a closer connection to God. It was here that they were introduced to a religious movement known as the Shouters. The Shouters were a Christian sect that had gotten their name because they worshipped by publicly shouting their prayers. The members would shout, O Lord Jesus, and stamp in unison. They were led by Lord Chang Shou, also known as Witness Lee. Zhao and Jie Shun began attending Witness Lee's sermons and quickly grew enamored with his beliefs. 
Later that year, they were baptized in the sect and given new names. Zhao was given the name Power. From the get-go, Zhao approached the shouters with unmatched dedication and fervor. He quickly began to climb the ranks within the sect. He helped establish churches in the Heilongjiang province, and Zhao was made head of that sect. Followers stopped calling him Power and began calling him the Lord of Power. In 1989, during the Spring Festival in Achang City, 30-year-old Zhao preached to followers that Witness Lee was the Christ of the end times. This is where we first see Zhao's obsession with the idea that the apocalypse was near, something that would preoccupy him throughout his life. He preached that followers needed to seek salvation immediately or risk eternal damnation. But later that year, in 1989, outside pressure began tearing the shouters apart. Public security authorities labeled the church a cult. Though the ban on religion had been lifted, the Communist Party only recognized five religions, Buddhism, Taoism, Islam, Protestantism, and Catholicism. Any other practices were banned. Zhao and his followers knew just how violent the government, now led by Deng Xiaoping in the wake of Chairman Mao's death, could be to any perceived threats. That same year, the Tiananmen Square massacre had taken place. The protesters in Tiananmen Square had mostly been made up of young students. They called for greater democracy and the resignations of the communist leaders who'd become too repressive. On June 4, 1989, the troops fired into the crowd. Many students tried to flee, but others fought back. Western reporters who were on the scene estimated that thousands of protesters may have been killed. 10,000 others were arrested. This shocking event showed the lengths the government would go to end any uprising. Zhao knew the dangers of attracting any attention to himself. He had to remain as secretive as possible about his religious movement. In 1991, the Harbin Public Security Bureau officially closed his sect's church, known as the Yangyuan Church. Zhao and his followers quickly left the city, knowing they risked persecution and imprisonment if they stayed. At 40, Zhao and a number of his followers fled to Hunan. He'd always been good at landing on his feet and quickly began efforts to establish a new church. This was when Zhao began making moves to build his own church, completely independent of the Shouters. In Hunan, he began calling himself the Lord of Ability and established the Church of the Lord of New Abilities. While this new church was still deeply rooted in the Christian tradition, it was something that Zhao could control one of the few things he'd ever truly controlled in his entire life. Zhao spread his religion by passing out pamphlets and cassette recordings of his interpretation of the Bible, which believed that a passage from the book of Matthew discussing lightning from the east referred to the second coming of Christ. By Zhao's prediction, this second coming would happen in China. That same year, Zhao met the woman who would inspire his entire cult, Yang Xiangbin. Yang Xiangbin was born in 1973 in Shanxi, a region in the north of China, but little is known about her upbringing. In 1990, she suffered a mental breakdown after failing her university entrance exams. Her psychological state was so bad that family members accused her of being possessed by a demon. The National Higher Education Entrance Examination, or the Gaokao, was first implemented in China in 1952 and still exists today. It functions like the SATs, only far more intense. 
The results of the exams could dictate whether a person was able to enter college at all, regardless of grades in high school. If a student didn't meet the requirements for any universities, they had to wait a full year and take the exam again to stand any chance of getting into a college. The extreme pressure this test puts on students has driven some to suicide. Young was no exception. After she failed her exam, she was nothing more than a burden for her family. She cracked. But with the help of Zhao Weishan, she would rebuild into something far more divine than anyone would have imagined. Next, we'll discuss how Yang would come to be known as the Almighty God. Now back to the story. In the early 90s, a young woman named Yang Xiangbin was going through an incredibly dark time. After failing the national entrance examination, she'd had a major nervous breakdown. Family members tried to help Yang seek medical treatment, but nothing seemed to help. Loved ones recognized that she was in a very dark place and had no idea how to help her. As a last resort, she was brought to the local Christian church run by Witness Lee and was prayed over by the congregation. Thankfully, this seemed to bring Yang the peace and reassurance she'd been looking for. She'd grown up Protestant, but after the church congregation prayed over her, laying hands on her and speaking in tongues, she found renewed vigor in religion and became a frequent fixture at her childhood church, run by Witness Lee. She devoted herself fully to Christ. It seemed to her loved ones that she was on the mend. She started going to Shouters meetings. She believed in everything Witness Lee preached and spent hours every day poring over religious readings and texts. However, Young's mental health began to suddenly deteriorate once again, though it's unclear what could have caused this sudden downturn. She began to tell people that she was having holy dreams and visions. She said she was experiencing them so frequently that she was absolutely overwhelmed by trying to interpret them. Meanwhile, up north, Zhao was also struggling. He was depressed from the government's shutdown of his church. The Shouters movement had been gaining traction in Heilongjiang, and he was upset that they'd hit a dead end in the province. Dejected, he moved back to Henan, but a chance meeting would prove kismet for both Zhao and Yang. They met at Witness Lee's church and immediately connected. They were both at extremely low points in their lives and most likely struck up a quasi-codependent relationship. Research done by Mikulinsa and Shaver shows that growing up in an unstable environment can affect how adults form attachments with others later in life. Both Zhao and Yang may have looked to one another to provide complete emotional support and validation, having found none in the outside world. At the time of their meeting, Yang was writing a religious text and told Zhao it was the word of God. It seems that Yang was truly convinced that she was a mouthpiece for God. We can't know for sure whether Zhao actually believed Yang or whether he simply saw how he could use her delusions to his benefit. We do know that he told Yang she was divinely connected. He seemed fascinated by her, although this could have been a manipulation tactic. Yang finished her Word of God text, which now included her new partner. Her text declared that people should stop worshiping Zhao as the Lord of Power and start worshiping God himself. According to Yang's text, God himself was divided into many different elements. God could be represented as all-prepared, all-worthy, all-victorious, all-glory, all-reverence, all-authority, 
or all complete. Zhao only represented God's spirit of all authority. Meanwhile, Yang declared that she was all complete. She told followers that this was because she had been possessed by the Holy Spirit. Those in Yang's circle who had already been confused and concerned about her mental state became convinced that this was the reason for her odd behavior. They began to believe that she truly was a holy figure. People who saw her preach claimed she seemed like she really was connected to God. Zhao's followers embraced her Word of God text. In 1993, 34-year-old Zhao took a huge step in the development of his own religion. He declared Yang the female Christ. Zhao made the distinction that there was a God in heaven and an almighty God who came to earth. Yang, as he told followers, was the almighty God come down to save them. 1993 marked the formal beginning of Zhao's new religious movement. He called it Eastern Lightning and formed the Church of the Almighty God. Zhao told followers that he was simply a man who had been blessed to meet Yang and had been converted by her message. It's unclear whether he believed this, but his priority seemed to be growing the church rather than whether his partner was divinely connected. As the Church of the Almighty God began to take shape, Zhao began calling himself the priest of the Church of the Almighty God. He made it clear to followers that Yang was the holy figure. He was simply doing God's work as instructed. He said that his duty was simply the administrative side of church affairs. Yang and Zhao centered their religion around the idea that Yang was the eastern lightning foretold in the Bible. This connected her writing to Zhao's earlier writings, seemingly tying up loose ends with a nice little bow. They took a passage from Matthew 24:27 as inspiration. Quote, For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. End quote. The tactic worked. The religion began to attract a following, primarily made up of middle-aged women. This may have been due to the fact that many women in China at the time grew up feeling unwanted or useless. In 1979, the Communist Party had introduced a one-child policy. The country's population had reached 970 million, and the government had decided to take extreme measures to try to slow growth. By the early 80s, couples could only have two children if both parents came from one-child households. Otherwise, they were confined to one child. The policy had created a dramatic gender imbalance. There was a cultural preference to have sons. Men carried on the family name and were viewed as providers. In rural areas where Eastern Lightning first took hold, male babies were especially valued. Parents wanted a son who could help with manual labor. The strong patriarchal values meant that female babies were often aborted, put up for adoption, abandoned, or killed after birth. Many families weren't willing to be imprisoned or pay a fee as a result of having two babies if one was a daughter. This meant that many women grew up feeling like they had no place in society or like they couldn't provide enough for their families. They were burdens. In the Church of the Almighty God, these women found not only a home, but a purpose. They devoted themselves completely to Eastern Lightning. The cult made them feel loved and accepted. A female Christ had come down to save them before the end of days. They wanted to prove to God that they were faithful servants. The cult was quickly gaining followers during the early 90s. But not all of them followed the cult because they wanted to. 
Zhao encouraged his followers to use fear to bring people into the church. They knocked on doors and told people that the Almighty God had returned to cast judgment. The followers warned people that they'd go to hell if they didn't convert. They'd also threatened that if the Almighty God knew people had refused to convert, those people would get a fatal disease and die quickly. Building on this element of fear, Zhao preached that the arrival of the Almighty God was a signal of the end times. He said that mankind's interaction with God could be broken into three ages. First, there was the Age of Law. The events during this age are chronicled in the Old Testament, according to Zhao. This includes everything from God's creation of the world to the birth of Christ. The Eastern Lightning Cult views everything in the Old Testament through a literal interpretation. During the so-called Age of Law, God created humanity, helped to guide the Israelites out of Egypt, and passed his commandments down to Moses. The Age of Law ended with the birth of Christ, and so began the Age of Grace. This spanned from Jesus' birth until the rise of the female Christ, Yang Xiangbin. During this age, Jesus demonstrated his love and compassion for Christians by sacrificing himself to cleanse them of their sins. Eastern Lightning believed that Jesus was just a regular man until he was 29. At that point, he began his ministry and became a holy figure. The cult also believes that Jesus wasn't able to completely cleanse humanity of their sins. They believe that humanity is still inherently corrupt. Therefore, Zhao preached that the female Christ had been sent, not as a compassionate figure as Jesus had been, but one who would cast judgment upon the sins of humanity. Anyone corrupted by Satan deserved punishment, according to the church. This age was known as the Age of the Kingdom and marked God's reckoning of humanity. These beliefs have roots in older Chinese religious practices, which were much more strict than modern Christianity. The Church of the Almighty God's rituals and doctrines are most similar to Chinese Protestantism. They believed faith in God was the only pathway to salvation, and all others would be doomed to hell. This message resonated with many of the Church's followers. Although religion had been banned from 1966 to 1976, Religion still had been practiced in secret. Even after the ban was lifted, people were scared to practice their religion openly. Even in the 1990s, there were only five major world religions that were officially recognized. Any offshoots of these were banned and persecuted. Zhao's previous attempts at starting churches had quickly been shut down. In 1995, just four years after his church had first been established, China's Ministry of Public Security labeled the Church of the Almighty God a cult. As a result, all church activity had to remain as secretive and underground as possible. Church meetings were held in homes or other discrete locations. These meetings could only be attended by a small number of followers so as not to attract attention. Followers worshiped the Bible along with the religious texts written by Yang. In 1997, the church's scripture, The Word Appears in the Flesh, was finally completed. Zhao and his followers spread the word of the religion by proselytizing. A huge emphasis was placed on the importance of converting others to the church. Followers would pass out church literature that included stories of dreams and visions church members had had, along with stories of divine retribution. 
Evangelists of the religion traveled throughout the country to spread the word. The church also began to form social networks that allowed them to form tight-knit church communities. But as the church grew, a dark shadow followed it. In the late 90s, rumors began to swirl that church members resorted to kidnapping and violence to convert people. At the time, Zhao waved off these rumors as propaganda started by the government. The Chinese government had complete control of the media and could spin stories however they pleased. However, as time went on, more and more evidence began to stack up. It seemed as though there may have been some truth to these rumors. And soon, proof would surface that proved the cult would go to violent extremes to convert new followers. We'll follow the cult's plans for apocalypse in a moment. Now back to the story. In the late 1990s, Zhao Weishan's following grew, and as the church flourished, Yang Xianbin retreated from the public eye. Zhao realized she would be viewed as more powerful if sightings of her were rare. By surrounding her with an air of mystery, followers' minds reeled, imagining what the Almighty God was like in person. He told followers that only the most elite members could meet the female Christ. Cult leaders often use mystery and secrecy to keep followers craving more information. They promise followers that if they just dedicate a little more of their time and energy to the cause, they can gain information and obtain a higher rank in the cult. Chao was able to hook followers by planting a seed that Christ had returned to earth to save them, but he deprived them of the opportunity to meet and interact with her. This follows one of the eight manipulation techniques identified by psychiatrist Dr. Robert J. Lifton, an expert on cult leaders. Zhao used the technique Lifton refers to as mystical manipulation. Under this method, cult leaders convince their followers that they have a special connection to God. They can use this to control followers by telling them they'll only pass on information if the followers prove themselves to be faithful. This helped Zhao bring his followers more tightly into the fold. They were desperate to prove that they were faithful and loyal to him and Yang. They fed off each other's faith and grew more and more convinced that Yang was the Almighty God. That said, it's difficult to know how much power Yang actually had or if she was simply a puppet, happy for a higher calling that had nothing to do with college entrance exams. Yang was kept out of the public eye for the majority of the cult's existence. It appears that primary control of the cult rested in Zhao's hands. In terms of hierarchy, Zhao was known as the chief priest and sat at the top. Below him were two heads of a so-called supervision group. There were seven people total in this group, two of them acting heads. The supervisory group was in charge of communicating messages from Zhao to followers. They oversaw Eastern Lightning churches and then reported back to Zhao about how things were going. Below them were the leaders and assistants. These were the people who led the churches at the regional, sub-regional, and church levels. The regions and sub-regions each had a preacher and deacon. The organizational structure of the church and its ability to network across the country was only possible because of the money that Zhao convinced his followers to provide. Members who've spoken to the press have reported that followers were pressured to donate to the church. They were told by Zhao that this was the only way to climb the ranks. Zhao preached to his followers that financial contributions demonstrated their faith in the religion. 
The primary thing that drove followers to contribute was their conviction that the world was about to end, and they wanted to be in Zhao's good graces when Revelation came. If they were not fully devoted, they would be doomed to hell. Financial contributions proved loyalty to Zhao, which he coveted. It was important that his followers were devout and kept church secrets. Secrecy was incredibly important to Zhao. Since the church was labeled a cult just four years into its existence, Zhao knew he and Yang could easily be arrested and imprisoned if discovered. Zhao preached that the Communist Party was the big red dragon foretold of in the Book of Revelation. The passage reads, quote, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth, to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. End quote. Zhao told followers that the Communist Party was a form of the devil, come to corrupt and destroy them. At the same time, the government was growing more and more wary of how powerful the cult was getting. This contentious relationship between the Chinese Communist Party and Eastern Lightning continued to get worse as time went on. The cult saw themselves as above the law. All that mattered was living in a way they felt God would approve of. Zhao was able to attract followers by preying on the sense of fear and discontent people felt towards the government, especially given that over the past 50 years, religious people had been especially persecuted. In a 2018 interview, chair and professor of psychology at Lebanon College, Louis Manza, said about cult followers, quote, We are social creatures. It's part of what makes us humans. And so if that's missing for individuals, and they don't have a way of meeting that need on their own, they're going to look for someone else who can maybe provide that need for them, end quote. Zhao was easily able to use the discontent people felt towards the Communist Party to his advantage. He constantly preached about the evils of the government. He told followers they were being lied to. He made them feel like the government was preventing them from having a relationship with God, specifically so they'd end up in hell after the end of the world. Followers found comfort in his message. He confirmed their most paranoid fears and provided a path to safety. For years, their attempts to worship had been shut down by the Communist Party. They finally felt like they knew why. They saw the party as one of their main enemies. By the late 90s, the relationship between the government and Eastern Lightning was growing even more combative. In 1998, rumors swirled that the cult had been responsible for a series of robberies and assaults in the Henan province. The cult members robbed people and broke people's arms and legs. They even cut off people's ears. It's unclear who they'd attacked or why, but the government was quick to publicize the story. However, it was difficult to know whether these attacks had really occurred. The government controlled the media completely and could have easily been using these reports as propaganda. Whether these attacks occurred or not, it was clear that the group was growing bolder. They'd stayed underground for nearly 10 years, but their hatred for the government was propelling them to protest openly. It was a risky move given the current political climate. The following year, in 1999, the Chinese Communist Party began a campaign to put an end to the spiritual practice of Falun Gong. 
This was a religious practice centered around meditation. It did not fall under the five religions approved of by the Chinese government. As such, there were reports that police had tortured and abused those they caught practicing Falun Gong. People would go missing in the night, and their loved ones would have no idea what had happened to them. They'd end up in labor camps without any idea when they'd be released. Later in 1999, Zhao suddenly announced that the year 2000 would mark the end of days. It's unclear why he picked that year, although he wasn't the only one to buy into Y2K panic. As fear of the government grew, Zhao may have been afraid that followers would leave the movement. Announcing that the end of the world was approaching made the followers too afraid to drift away from the church. Zhao's followers worked themselves into a frenzy as they awaited the end of days. Meanwhile, the government began arresting any Eastern Lightning members they could find. Zhao and Yang felt they were no longer safe in China. They fled to New York City without any of their followers and sought political asylum, which was granted in 2001. But this didn't mark the end of Eastern Lightning. Far from it. Zhao could be bolder now that he wasn't at risk of being arrested. He established a church in New York and sent orders back to the church leaders still in China. The cult was extremely worked up. Their leaders had fled, and the government was cracking down on any superstitious or fanatical religions. Nobody seemed to mind that the world hadn't ended in 2000. It felt like everything Zhao had said about the government was true. It represented a demonic energy intent on corrupting the followers of the Church of the Almighty God. The cult's hatred of the government meant they felt laws didn't apply to them and often took justice into their own hands. In 2002, a number of Protestant evangelical leaders emerged with a shocking story. They said that Eastern Lightning members had posed as representatives from a theological institute in Singapore, kidnapped 34 Christian leaders, drugged them, posed them in sexual positions, and took pictures of them in these humiliating poses. They said that Eastern Lightning members had beaten and humiliated them to force them to convert. They'd been held by the cult members for two months. The evangelical leaders produced evidence of the violence and maiming they had suffered. This was the first time anyone had presented evidence to support one of these stories about an Eastern Lightning attack. One pastor said that while he was drugged and tied up, two women had whispered Eastern Lightning doctrine to him throughout the entire night to brainwash him. Other church leaders suffered terrible fates. They were maimed by cult members and had their ears cut off and their legs broken. One of the kidnapped leaders was finally able to escape and alert the police. Once the Eastern Lightning members were aware that someone had escaped, they immediately fled. The rest of the kidnapped men were finally able to get away. More stories began to emerge of the cult's increasingly violent attempts to convert people. They'd used fear as a tactic since the early days of the cult, but now followers were willing to hurt anyone who refused to convert. Followers would go into impoverished areas and offer them food, money, or a phone if they agreed to begin following Zhao. Because the church had spent so many years shrouded in secrecy, it's unclear whether the group had always been so violent or they'd grown more brutal as the years went on. It's also unclear if cult members had grown unruly after Zhao and Yang had left for the U.S., or if Zhao was actively encouraging violence from the safety of New York. Either way, the cult was becoming a growing threat. The church had grown strong roots in rural areas. 
Now it was beginning to gain a stronghold in the cities as well. The cult was rumored to have over one million followers by this point. It's difficult to be sure how accurate this estimate is, as, again, it may have been a propaganda tactic used by the government to scare people. But propaganda or not, it worked. People outside the cult grew increasingly afraid of being attacked by cult members. Eastern Lightning members had a tight grip on many impoverished neighborhoods. People in these provinces were isolated and uneducated. In many cases, it was easier to just convert rather than try to rebel. Ex-cult members, along with people who'd been harassed by the cult, were too afraid to come forward and risk further violence. And as stories continued to emerge about violence conducted by its members, the cult members would deny everything. They claimed it was all a Communist Party smear campaign. Meanwhile, the kidnapped evangelical leaders had photographs of the violence they'd endured. But this wasn't enough evidence to catch anyone. The police struggled to find any leads, and no arrests were made. After the 2002 kidnapping, the cult went silent. They wouldn't be heard from again until 2014 in an attack so horrific it attracted attention from all around the world. In part two of our exploration of Eastern Lightning, we'll discuss the savage violence that the cult resorted to in 2014. Zhao Weishan may have fled the country, but the cult continued to thrive and sink its claws into American soil. As the cult's influence continued to grow, the cult members' paranoia grew along with it. These fears and anxieties would hit a fever pitch that would leave the world horrified. Thanks again for tuning in to Cults. We'll be back with part two of Church of the Eastern Lightning next Tuesday. You can find more episodes of Cults, as well as all of ParCast's other podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast directory. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Cults was created by Max Cutler and is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Cults is written by Mandy Bossard and stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson. <laughs>